Hello and welcome to Life with Francie podcast, a, pre a place where you will find all kinds of conversation like mental health, self-love, self-care, trauma, hobbies, and more. With this podcast, I want to create a place where we support one another to get to the next level in personal life and business life. Hope you enjoy this episode. Now, let's get this show started. On today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk to Andy. Um, and I just lost it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm glad I got a virtual assistant now so she can edit this part. <laughs> Come on. On this episode, I have the pleasure to talk to Andy, who is an emerging author, experienced church leader, and accomplished speaker living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Andy holds a Master of Arts in Christian Apologetics from Biola University. Andy's education, coupled with his life experience, struggling to reconcile his faith and sexuality, inform his writing on the subject. His career in emergency services gives Andy a pragmatic approach to life. So I am so excited to get this conversation going. So let's start it. Welcome, Andy, to the show. So what is life with Andy? <laughs> Thanks. Good to be here. What is life like? What is life with Andy? Well, let's see. Life with Andy today, it's 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 the the, the trailing end of a heat wave. So uh um, I, I, uh, I do lap swimming for my cardio and that's, that's what I decided to do today in 103 degree heat. So Woo. that was like today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a so, lot. <laughs> it was a good life. Well, it was a good life today. And then, um, but let's see. So, so what did it take to get into a swimming pool in 2022? Um, you know, in my starting, I'll start, start in high school. Um, I was a mess in high school. In fact, my parents went to, you know, they had these parent teacher conferences. Maybe, maybe this was junior high, but uh, my, my parents went to, uh, to the, the junior high uh, parent teacher conference and looked at these teachers and said, we don't know what to do with, Aunt, with Andy. And um, we, we're, we're looking for some advice. Any ideas you got? And the, one of the teachers looked back at my mom and and he had had me several years because he, he had been you know moving up in grade as we were moving up in grade and he said actually uh uh i was gonna i i've got the same problems with my kid and i was gonna ask you how you deal with it <laughs> it was i was a mess <laughs> and you know it was i was just a difficult i was a difficult kid to deal with when i was a kid and and um and so then in my 20s uh i i became a born-again christian um and uh, went and got a master's my master's degree in in christian apologetics which is the the art of art and science or dis theological discipline of defending the faith of christianity um and then in my 30s i got sober um because there was a little bit of a rub between my uh, sexuality and my religious beliefs and uh and then in my in my 40s i came out and um turning 50 i wrote a book about it so that's wow. that's where i'm at today it's like this progression of of um trying to figure out you know my, my mom was asking what to how to deal with me i was trying to figure out how to deal with me and i think today i've got a pretty good i've got a pretty good life in dealing with who i am and accepting who i am and loving who i am and those were things i wasn't capable of uh, even 15 years ago so i'm really um really in a good spot wow i'm like i'm just speechless right now <laughs> i mean we all can relate about being a hot mess in high school i mean come on if you got your life together sorry i think this is not the podcast for you <laughs> <laughs> because oh my gosh high school for me was a hot mess in 20s but you didn't come out to your 40s i came out to my parents when i was 40 years old um, and, uh, and it was interesting because my parents have always gone to a church that was extremely accepting of, of LGBTQ people. 
In fact, they were performing uh, same-sex wedding ceremonies as early as the mid-1970s. Um, and so very, you know, very accepting church. But uh, my my dad made the comment that if you had told me this 20 years ago, it would have gone over like a lead balloon. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's not easy to, to it's it's different. I think it might be different when it's other people's kids. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he said, but he said, hey, it's 2013. What do I, you know, it's it's like, it's okay. We're good. I actually have more faith in my dad than than I think he gives himself credit for. Um, he he has always committed to uh, loving his kids and my mom the same way. My mom probably more so than my dad, uh, loving loving their kids the the way they are and not the way they ought to be. So I had pretty good parents. Oh, that's awesome. So did you always know, or did you always knew, or like? I was in denial. Um, when I was in, when I was in high school, you know, the, the, um, there were guys that, that really, you know, gave me butterflies in my stomach that I was really, really attracted to. And it just never registered with me that, yeah, dude, that's what happens when you're gay <laughs> or, or bi or just <laughs> at least not straight, right? Like straight people, straight guys typically don't fall in love with guys. That just doesn't, you know, happen. Um, in my mid twenties, I remember saying to myself, just having a little conversation with myself, like we do. And I thought, man, for a, for a straight guy, I sure do date a lot of men. Hmm. Bam. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, so I was in denial. And, and then finally, when I got sober, um, my sponsor at the end of this, this one step that you do, um, my sponsor said, uh, Hey, um, you know, you're not straight. And I'm like, well, no kidding. And he said, well, you know, you need to, you need to figure that out. You need to figure out how to deal with that. Because if you don't, you're, you're, you're going out again. Like, like you won't stick around. Yeah. And so I went through a process of, of, um, it was a little bit of experimenting with coming out to various people very slowly, um, kind of dipping my toe in the water, but also just learning how to accept this part of myself that, that I really, I had tried to change it. I mean, in my twenties, I went through conversion therapy, uh, counseling and that sort of thing to try to not be gay anymore. Um, and you know, obviously it didn't work. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it, it just, it was this, that was what started that conversation is what started the process of me knowing I need to come face to face with this part of myself and figure out what to do with it for, for, as as a way of accepting it rather than trying to make it go away or ignore it or call it something else or something you know disingenuous wow yeah i i can't relate to a certain point uh just because i always knew for me i'm bisexual so uh for my family um it was more of like they're very religious and i love them to death and their beliefs are their beliefs but it's pretty much I was going to hell. So like I always thought that there was something wrong with me for being attracted to women. So I really didn't um, reach out or anything like that. It wasn't until like I moved over here from Puerto Rico and it was it was wild. It was wild after, after that. And I just didn't care. And I wasn't open about it or whatever. But now in my 30s, I'm like, who gives a crap? You know, I'm me, love me or hate me. Like, I, I don't even care anymore, you know, yeah. but it, it took a long way. And there was there was drugs, there was alcohol, and a lot of anger, a lot of resentment because I just couldn't be myself. So I can yeah. relate a little bit on that part of struggling, becoming yourself. I was always jealous of the people that could that could say, look, this is me. Deal with it. I was jealous of those folks uh, because for whatever reason, I couldn't give myself permission to do that. Um, and to this day, that's not me. I'm not a, this is me deal with it guy. Um, but I'm, I'm a, this is me and this is me. Yeah. And, you know, like, like today, a big difference today is um, I, I took over. I'm a, I'm a manager. I, I managed uh, emergency programs for a, a, a large company. And, and so um I took over a new team and, and the team said, you know, you've got some big shoes to fill. 
the manager that the manager that just retired was really good in all these different ways. And, you know, you're going to have to, you know, really strive to fill her shoes. And, and so when it came turn my time to my turn to talk, I said, you know, what? I really don't feel like I need to fill anyone's shoes. I, I feel like my key to success right now is just to be the best me, you know, bring, bring the best Andy to the table every day. Uh, and I'm not your, I'm not your old manager and that that's good news and bad news. Yeah. You know, there's, and, and, but, but it is what it is. And, uh, and so it's that not needing to be somebody else. Um, that's what, I mean, that's really what, what got me drunk was I was managing all these facades. You know, I was going to an evangelical church and teaching. I was, and be, I was a leader there. Um, I was, I was uh, working for a fire department. Um, so a very conservative environment. And so I, you know, I had an image to create there. I had my family life. I had, you know, social stuff and I had my gay friends. And the only time I could really let my guard down was when I was with my, my gay friends and I could just relax and sigh a breath, you know, take a breath of, of fresh air and just relax. And, um, and so now that take a breath of fresh air, relax and be myself, that's seven days a week now, instead of, instead of it just being one or two nights where I could break loose and go hide. And, you know, I lived it. So I lived near Pasadena, uh, California, and then Long Beach was about a 45 minute drive and it has a really good gay district down there. And I had a bunch of friends that lived in the neighborhood. So once or twice a week, I'd go and crash down there um, and work. And my work was right in between the two. So a couple nights a week, I'd go down there and just hang out with my gay friends and just, you know, I could just let it, let it hang loose. But today that's seven, that's seven days a week instead of two days a week. I love that. That's awesome. So how did the book and everything, your mission, uh, that to talk about it with people, go from, yeah. you know, being so reserved to now wanting to be in a podcast and tell your story? Yeah, you know, it, I never, so I was even living in the Bay Area. I moved up here about 10 years ago and um, living in the Bay Area, which is extremely accepting. I mean, everybody kind of associates San Francisco with gay rights and, 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 you know, kind of on the leading edge of, of the progressive gay movement. I, I, I used to call it the, the epicenter of the gay universe, but people said that there were other cities that would disagree with me on that. So I don't say that anymore. Um, but, uh, but even being here, I was afraid to come out to people. I was really nervous about it. And, um, and so I thought, you know, coming out on Facebook, I don't need to come out on Facebook. I don't need to come out with all my friends in high school. I don't need to do any of that stuff. I need to be okay with who I am. I found a church that's, that's extremely, uh, affirming that I can be any level of leadership or, or any level of service in that church, exactly who I am today without, you know, without having to change the unchangeable. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a boyfriend, I've had a boyfriend for about seven years now. It's, it's, it's just everything is great. Um, and I had this conversation with a, a woman I met at a Christmas party, and she told me about her 12 year old son. Well, her, her son, who was then in his 20s, but when back when he was 12 or 13, uh, he went up, he approached her and said that he, he was gay. And they went to a non affirming Christian church, and he loved Jesus, he loved the Bible, he loved his church friends, like, like, like the church, all that stuff but the church was not affirming. So had he come out in that group, they would have just told him to leave um, as happened to other people in that, in that church group. So as she was, and she was talking about their, you know, some of their current strategies on how to deal with it and all this. And, and so I learned two things from that conversation. Number one was that I had a lot to bring to the table with my, with my conservative, um, uh, training and theology and the Bible and all that stuff. And then the second thing I learned about it, uh, I realized on the way home, because on my drive home, um, I thought about what it must have been like, because it was hard for me to come out at 40. You know, it was, it was hard for me. It's, it's hard for me to come out sometimes today. And yet, what was it, what must it have been like if, if for a 13 year old to have that conversation and come out? And I thought, wow. And I, and I wept, I cried about it. I was just like, that's, that's, that floors me. So, so I thought with the, with a combination of those two things, maybe I've got something that I could put in writing and help and help people. 
uh, and you know do a little research, do my homework, and and figure that out. So that's what that's what really and and that that mom and I have become really good friends since then, um, along with many other people that I've that I've talked to and and gotten to you know become friends with in in the process of of writing the book. But uh, and the book is uh, called "Tried to Be Straight: Options for Gay Christians." And if if you think about a spectrum of of self acceptance from one to ten, one meaning completely in the closet, afraid to walk down a street with a rainbow flag on it. You know, I'm just you know no 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 gay anything for me. Uh, and ten being completely self accepting, self affirming. You're good, right? No nobody needs to. I'm writing this book for people on that spectrum of about one to three, really unaffirming of themselves, really dipping their toe in the water. So. Um, so from that perspective, it's written using conservative language. I, I quote as many evangelical conservative fundamentalist uh, leaders as possible rather than quoting liberal leaders, because I know when I was a conservative fundamentalist evangelical, I, I wouldn't read anything that was written by somebody who was to the left of me, um, which was incidentally most people. So yeah. <laughs> so I have to I, I had to reach people using their language. Um with a message that most people aren't ready to aren't ready to hear, you know, um, the message from the the conservative Christian movement is don't be gay, and the the answer to the question, well, what if I am gay? Is don't be gay. Yeah. And how did you did you struggle or had any feelings with the church? as you're coming out because as for me like I have always had to try to look for a church well yeah I gave up on church a long time ago <laughs> well, <it laughs> but when I did try it I was looking yeah. for accepting one <laughs> yeah I mean it, the so there are more than 40,000 denominations of uh, Christian denominations around what 40,000 yeah so, so the really the the age old answer to uh, to a Christian that is frustrated with their church is to go down the street and start a new one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, that's how it's looking nowadays. I mean, unless you're unless you're in a group that has a very specific organization like R Roman Catholicism, you know, you're not going to go and start a new Roman Catholic church down the street. There's only one Roman Catholic church, and they've got one pope, and that's. But you know, it, as far as Protestantism goes. Um, you know, there, there are many, many churches. And so uh, there's a chapter in the book on not only how to choose a church, but why is that even important? Why is it even important that a Christian go to church? What is that, you know, what's in it for me um, in that? And so tell me, why is it important? <laughs> so, so a lot of what, a, a lot of the change, I think, theologically, um, that a person can go through is we look at our relationship with God as, as a performance relation, performance based. Yeah. So almost like God is this cosmic Santa Claus that he knows when you've been good, bad or good. Right. And he's, keeping, yes. he's making a list and checking it twice. Right. So, so my, my relationship with God is based on whether or not I sin. And, and so now all the things that I do that are sinning, then Jesus came along and said, no, 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 wait a minute. So you thought that you were okay not committing adultery, uh, meaning you don't go and sleep around. But when you lust after somebody who's not your spouse, you are committing adultery in your heart. Oops. Yeah. You know, okay, you don't go out and kill people. Got it. You know, good on you. But when you call, when, when you go to somebody and call them an idiot or a fool, you've committed murder. You've committed a murder with your lips, and it's like, ooh. So, so Jesus kind of raised the bar to this level of perfection that that you know inside and out. Um, and so when you when you begin measuring yourself on this standard of sin and not sin, um, you you end up with a very challenged view of yourself at the end of the day. So yeah. the way I like to look at our relationship with God is one that Jesus was very much for, which is how do we, how do, how am I serving the people around me? So the church for me is an outlet for me to serve in, in a, in a holy and godly way. And if the church doesn't provide an outlet for me to serve, 
And it could be something as simple as mopping a floor mm-hmm. um, or, or saying hello to somebody when they walk in in the morning or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a job with a name tag. It's just a, you know, it's just, it's just, a, I go there to, to get with other Christians where we serve together. And that becomes important in a couple of other equations in my life. But, um, but that's what I believe. And the church, and, and I go in, into this in the chapter, uh, in my chapter, in my book, the church is built with with people you know the the bible talks about people being the living stones that that build the walls of the church and so the church is never referenced as a building but metaphorically it's it's shown as a building that's that's built with with each of us as participants and so it really is quite a beautiful thing when we look at the the way that the church is kind of laid out in the new testament um, not so much a beautiful thing when they're telling me I, I have to sit in the back row because, you know, because I've labeled myself as a gay man. But but yeah. uh, but if I find the right place, if I find the right group and I and I think right now I'm I'm I, I know I've I found a good group to be in with. So um, so I'm very happy getting out of bed on a Sunday morning and rushing across a bridge to to get to my church. No, 100 percent. I love that answer you know serving in a godly matter like we can do that outside of church but i love that you're looking for that community as well because i i can see it i can see the community i have a huge family and they all have different religions different whatever one goes on sunday the other one goes on saturday and the other one goes every single day (laughs) so i have all kinds of people in my uh thing and I have struggled because of my own issues with my family and different churches that I have gone but I do love the community the service helping one another I I do love it and when they have the message of like God loves you and this is what the Bible says but you know this this and that like welcoming everybody and understanding that God says a million times love your neighbor not love your straight neighbor not love your um, uh, neighbor that doesn't have mental health issues (laughs) love your neighbor that's not an addict you know things like that so I do love that part you know when you find the right people so yeah uh, what else is there about Andy? <laughs> so, so I think, um, I, so this, this idea of growing in service or, or, or living in service, um, it, it kind of came out of twofold, uh, you know, it's, it's all, it, like you said, it's all over the Bible, right? L- love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, part of the ways I, I love myself is I feed myself and I clothe myself and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I take care of myself um, and I can do those things for other people when it's appropriate, um, you know, in a, in a healthy way. There's obviously there's there's ways we can get codependent about that, but we'll, you know, we'll we'll, we'll assume that we're talking about a healthy uh, approach. Um, I talk about a, a little bit about growing self-esteem. And I was clueless about self-esteem. Uh, in fact, a mentor of mine asked me one time, how do you build self-esteem? And I, I looked at him and I thought, I, I have no idea. And he said, well, you're in luck, I'll tell you. Uh, he said, go and do esteemed things. Um, there were two answers. There were este- do esteemed things or esteem others. And what I learned was there's, a, there's kind of a secret to spiritual growth. And that is if you do good things for other people and you try not to get caught, there's, um, there's reward in your soul. And, and, it's, and it's instantaneous. I used to think it was like, okay, I'll get to heaven and I'll have all the, I'll have stored up because there's a scripture passage about storing up treasures in heaven. I'm going to be, it's kind of like my, my, my Jesus retirement plan. You know, I'll have lots of treasures in heaven because I did all these good things. But really what happened was um, uh, I remember one time uh, this guy was all over me about your ego's out of control. You're, you got to go do, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go and do something nice for somebody and i don't even want to know what you did you can't tell another soul what you did and so i went out and i thought first thought in my head was well where's the fun in that like i can't even get a thank you 
That's why you do these nice things for people so that other people can look at you and go, wow, what a nice guy that guy is. He just, you know, did this thing. Well, I went and I did it anyway, um, even though it didn't sound cool. And what I discovered was um, I, it was like I was on this secret mission with just me and God. And uh, we went out and did something together and it had an impact. And nobody knows to this day. Nobody knows what that was, how little, how big it's just it was this it was this thing and so finding opportunities to do stuff like that then because i mean maybe about 10 years ago i came to this realization that one of the things that's holding me back in life is that i really hate myself uh that i look in the mirror and i despise the guy who's looking back at me and i think i had it worse than others some people you know maybe every maybe a lot of people can relate to that for for whatever reason, I think I had it pretty bad. And um, I think that goes back to some of my problems as, as a kid growing up. I think, I think it goes into, you know, some of my problems of, of, of why I was trying to hide my, my real self from the rest of the mm -hmm. world, why I felt the need to put up all these facades, because I really felt like if, if you knew the real me, um, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't like me because I know the real me and I don't like me. Oh you know, yeah. I have so I struggled that with it. that too, like the other day. Yeah. Yeah. It, so what I, so, so what happened was I started number one, I became honest with myself about who I was and, be, and became willing to be honest with others about who I was. And then, and that was being realistic about strengths and weaknesses. And then also accepting things that are just, you know, my sexuality is no different than my hair color or my eye color. Um, my hair is what my hair is. I can color it something different, but my hair, I, you know, if I had blue eyes, I had blue eyes. It's not something that I'm going to, I had any choice over. Um, and the next thing is to, to, to try to grow as a, as a decent person, not to please God, but to value myself because the word esteem means value. So when you say self-esteem, what you're really talking about is value yourself. We look at a lot of these, uh, uh, some of these TED talks that you listen to. I listened to a guy the other day in a TED talk saying, the first thing I do in the morning is get up and make my bed. Why is that? Well, you're, you're, you're valuing yourself. You're saying I deserve a room that is, that is clean and neat because I deserve to come home to a place that's neat, clean and neat. Now I'm not saying that that's a requirement for self-esteem. I'm just saying yeah, yeah. that's one of the things that will contribute to self-esteem is esteeming yourself. But esteeming others is something that's going to add to your value. Your value is, hey, I fed people today. Hey, part of my paycheck goes to a place that helps people that are that that need a certain amount of help. Some of my time goes, and I'm not looking for a pat on the back, and I'm not looking for a credit, and I don't get, you know, I, it's just something that I do. And then when the when the voices come, those little demons that say you're worthless, you suck. You don't deserve the praise you just got. You don't deserve the promotion you just got. You don't deserve the raise you just got. You can sit back and you've got a list. And you're like, you know, all the all the not so good stuff I've been working on and it's been getting better. And all the good stuff it has been increasing. And I'm a value to my community and here's how. I'm a, uh, I'm a value to my family and here's how. And I'm a value to, to people in need and here's how. And they're real things. And that's a lot more powerful than sitting in front of a mirror and repeating some mantra like, God loves me. I'm a good person. I like myself. You can repeat those. If you don't believe, if you don't believe that stuff, you can repeat it as much as you want until you're blue in the face. You're not going to buy it. Yeah. I, I, so, I'm a, I have a testimony on that one. Cause like, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you off. <laughs> no, no, please, go ahead. I, I want to hear um so 10 years ago i started with depression so i had like uh sticky notes all over a hotel because that's where i was living at and like yeah. you're beautiful you're smart a decade later i was paying a mentor to help me with that so it hasn't been till last year that i started loving myself so yeah, yeah this the wow. sticky note just helped me i'm not uh, diminishing that because right. it helped me because I needed to repeat it to myself but I'm just saying till I didn't do the work the real work I didn't 
I didn't love myself. I didn't yeah. think that I, I was worthy. Um, I don't think that I'm, I'm enough, you know, so I have struggled with that too for a long time, <laughs> three decades. <laughs> I, I think, I think w- one of the things that I encourage people to do and, and something I've done with myself is um, I can see in me today, the things that God sees in me and appreciates and loves. Um, I know why I deserve love. And 10 years ago, I couldn't tell you that the answer to that. Um, but, you know, really sitting down and keeping close tabs and, and short accounts on um, on my attributes, both positive, negative, and neutral, um, recognizing what stuff I get to choose and what I don't get to choose. You know, I get to choose what time the alarm goes off in the morning, but I don't get to choose um, how tall I am, you know? And so, there are certain things that I can't, that I don't get to choose. And so being able to accept myself for who I am, I have flaws and I make mistakes. And so my, my, uh, um, and, and it's funny when I went through my recovery program, one of the things that my sponsor told me was, dude, you are an egomaniac. You're an egomaniac. And so I'm like, and that, that rings true today. I'm still an egomaniac. I'm just pretending not to be. And, uh, or at least I try. Um, and, and, and sometimes it works. You know, my boss the other day said, because I described to her a, a, a conversation set of conversations I had with an employee and I and I was really transparent about here's what I could have done different here's what here's here's what I recognized that I did uh, that could have gone better and here's how I, I responded to, to try to fix it and here's what I'm going to do next week to, to follow up and she said you know you're really demonstrating some humility some humility there and I'm thinking yeah you know it's like I can take that conversation and put it in a little bank account and say, I've been recognized by other people as demonstrating some humility. Now, notice I didn't say I'm humble because that's that wouldn't be true. But, but I can demonstrate <laughs> I can demonstrate humility from time to time. You know, I'm capable of that. And so that goes in the in the good part. You know, the 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 part that that I have to give myself a little hug and accept about myself is yeah i don't walk out i'm not the perfect boss i've i i i skin my knee every once in a while just like all the people who work for me also skin their knees every once in a while and so i got to be as easy as i am on on myself that way i can be easy on them when they skin their knees um just like i want my boss to be easy on me when i skin my when she, when she sees me skin in my knee so so that's where uh i think it really it, it's just kind of this process moving forward where we build our understanding of our value um, through a process of knowing ourselves, being honest with ourselves, committing to growth, to doing some things that help us grow. Um, and that would include stuff that's, you know, service to others or, or you know, however that looks for you, because uh, it's going to look different for every single person, which is really cool because the world has lots of needs, you know. I just want to throw a number out there and and you can ask yourself what you think Jesus would be more concerned about. Um, About 10% of the world plus or minus is LGBTQ. Some people would say it's more, some people would say it's less, but it's, you know, 10% is a good easy number that a lot of people agree on. Um, One third of the world doesn't have access to clean drinking water. Um, 12% of the pop of the population of the planet doesn't have access to a 2000 calorie diet a day. So what do you think bothers the, the, you know, our, our creator more, um, that I think about when I, when I get, you know, when, when I get excited, it's usually about some hot guy that walked by, or is it the fact that one in 10 people doesn't have enough to eat? And I'm trying to limit myself to 2000 calories. Like I have a tough time because I got too many happy meals under my belt. Right. So what do you think is, is a bigger issue? And you know what, commit yourself to the big issues. Um, and, and, and the other stuff will work itself out. My sexuality doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, I could fix, I could spend years and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to fix my sexuality. At the end of that, I'm going to be the same guy. I won't have changed a thing. And all that money and all that time could have gone to actually doing something good. Yeah, no, and I, I, I a thousand percent agree. Um, I have uh, somebody that I know 
a friend of a friend, let's just say. Um, uh, she's a lesbian. And then I tell people that know this person too. Like she's going to hell. She's not going to hell because she's a lesbian. She's going to hell because she got a dark heart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she's nasty. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, that I, I like that, that, yeah, I see it as God still loves me. Yeah. He has shown in so many ways. Does he approve? No, he has a huge list of things that he doesn't approve, but he sacrificed his life for us because he knew that we were incapable of doing what he did. Be a saint, you know, come here, do his thing, not give in to temptation, love everybody, have his disciples that were all sinners. One of them denied him and he still loved him. But a lot of people don't get that love part, love thy neighbor. Well, yeah, you know, another thing is, and, and, and people, um, uh, people, may not be aware of this little passage but jesus got upset a couple times in in the new testament Ooh, and, don't um, say that you're gonna start some stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> uh so so there's this one time that jesus was really upset at the religious leaders and he said they tie up heavy burdens and lo- burdensome loads and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them yeah and and he, he referred to them as, as as whitewashed tombs. And you know the the if if there are people in your spiritual community that are really quick to tell you all the things you need to do to be to be pleasing to your God, and yet they don't have to deal with it. Like so, for me, it was celibacy. Oh yeah, if you're gay, number one, you can't call yourself gay. You have to say that you have that you suffer from unwanted uh, same sex attraction disorder. And so now that we've reduced my, you know, a, a fundamental fact about myself that's unchangeable down to something that sounds like a skin condition, um, you know, that's number one. And then number two, um, you need to be celibate. And I'm looking around the church going, none of you guys are celibate, <laughs> right? You just, you say you wait till marriage, but I know enough of your stories that you didn't wait till marriage. It just looks like you waited till marriage. Mm. So so like you're not willing to practice any of the stuff you're heaping on my shoulders and it's killing me it's friggin killing me in fact um a, a, ch- a child growing up in a non-affirming home is eight times more likely to attempt self-harm than a child growing up in an affirming home yeah uh a, 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 an lgbtq child um people in religious communities I, this blew my mind uh there's a, a book out called heavy burdens um seven ways the church harms lgbtq people and i probably butchered the title but um but if you search for heavy burdens on amazon it'll come up and it's it's relatively new it, she, actually her book came out about a month after mine and she quotes this study that showed that every group of people in that join a religious community their their self-harm rates go down except for one and that's lgbtq people the study found that the more religious they were the higher their self-harm rate was to the tune of between 30 and 50 percent higher and so you know from a self-care perspective um if you are in a religious community that is not willing to affirm a part of you that is not changeable and i'll tell you and you can read the most entertaining chapter in my book is on conversion therapy and it, it goes mm, back and traces 50 years. Oh, it's, it's a, it, it's a show. It's the kind of show that, you know, uses a word that I won't say, but, uh, but it, it, 50 years of trying and they're just guessing, but 50 years of trying because they believe that God doesn't like the LGBTQ. And so if God doesn't like the LGBTQ, God will give us the power to change. And yet the leaders from the movement are walking away, shaking their heads, apologizing, apologizing for the harm that they've caused their followers and saying, I did it for 20 years and I never saw anybody change. And it's not just one, it's not just a handful, it's dozens and dozens of key leaders in key positions across the country 
So look, if someone's saying that you have to be something other than what you are, and there's a demonstrated history of not being able to change that, then you got to go find a more healthy environment so that you can survive. Um, and, and, or figure out how to be okay with yourself in that toxic environment and call mm -hmm. it for what it is and put on the right kind of armor every day when you walk into that environment and, and know that they're just misguided. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it a hundred percent. I think it was the last vacation or the vacation before I had a yeah. conversation with one of my cousins uh, because she was saying, uh, it had just become legal in Puerto Rico for gay couples to adopt kids. And mm -hmm. she went on and on about how traumatized these kids were going to be. And I'm just like, Jesus, take the wheel. And I said, sweetie, so you're going to tell me our other cousin that had an alcoholic father beat up his wife or cousins are fine because they have mommy and daddy together you know, just a straight couple, like, come on. And so we got into it. It was a respectful disagreement. <laughs> and then I finished with the sherry on top saying, yeah, you know, I'm bisexual. And yet you're telling me that I'm going to mess up my kids and everything else. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. I still love her to death. It's my cousin. And I just, with certain people, I just don't have certain conversations. Yeah. Well, and my family's huge. I can't like all of them. <laughs> so, so, so a story comes to mind and yes. it's, it's in 1974 when they pulled, I think it was 72, 74, somewhere in there, they pulled homosexuality out of the uh, DSM four, which is the manual that psychologists use to diagnose uh, me mental things. And um, you like my, my technical language there, you know, the, the, <laughs> all the mental things, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, it's, it's uh, um, they pulled homosexuality out of there. And the reason they did that is that back in the 50s, a, 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 a professor, Dr. Evelyn Hooker, uh, did a study. And with these ink blots and all these other different psychological tests that measure uh, mental maladies and there was, and there were some very, very, very homosexual men and some very, very, very straight men. And they, they, they did all these studies with them. And then they took all the personal data off of them. And they said, here's the results. Tell me which ones are gay. And nobody could do it. There was no difference in, um, in mental issues between the two of them. And that's what led eventually 20 years later uh, to homosexuality being pulled out as a mental disorder. Well, um, in 1974, this whole thing about gays not being monsters was new to the world. Nobody knew any gay people because they were all in the closet. Because if they weren't in the closet, they were being institutionalized, fired, disowned, kicked out of their churches, kicked out of their houses, beat up, dragged, behind the, dragged down the street behind pickup trucks. I mean, it was horrible. So people stayed in the closet and they did their thing in secret for the most part. Um, and so, so that was in 1974. You get a pass for thinking that gay people are monsters. But in, in 2022, you don't get a pass anymore because we've been coming out for the last 40 plus years. Harvey Milk did that for us. He said the best thing a, a, a LGBTQ person can do for gay rights is to come out. If, we all if everybody came out today, there would be no uh, homophobia tomorrow. Because you'd realize yeah. that Uncle Jack's gay. Uncle Jack's not a bad guy. Aunt Mary's gay. Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Mary's lesbian. Aunt Mary's great. They're not the monsters that they've been that, that we've been taught that they are. Um, so the so now in 2022, um, you you want to look out the window and it, it was it's it's just kind of like I, I, I one of the things I do for fun is I fly airplanes. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, and and. One of the stories that I learned, they, they tell you, do not use the radio when you're on the runway. When you're, you're on the runway, you're on the most hazardous portion of the flight. Um, you're either accelerating to, to pull the wheels up off the runway um, or you're decelerating to, to land. And um, so that's your only job. If, if the control tower tells you something, pay attention to it, but don't answer them because your job is to get the plane off the runway. And so a story about this guy that got his plane on the runway and, and he would, he had been told to go out on the runway and stop and hold and wait for the guy, the other, the first guy to get off the runway. And then he would be told to go. 
So he's waiting, he's waiting, and the tower says, okay, you're clear to take off. And so he opens the throttle, starts rolling down the runway. The tower doesn't hear his response. So he said, he calls him again, you're clear for takeoff. No response because the guy is practicing sterile cockpit on the runway and he's on the runway. So as he's lifting off the runway, tower calls him the third time. Hey, did you hear me? I told you you're clear to take off, to take off. And the guy gets on the radio and says, look out the effing window. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this is what goes through my head when when people are telling me how terrible uh lgbtq folks are it's like look out the window you're surrounded by us we're not yeah. that bad there are bad like you said there are there are some some bad elements just like there are bad straight people yeah, okay. and there's bad all kinds of people right there's a, we could talk about the bad people all day long but it's not like it's not like I'm bad because um, it has nothing to do with whether I'm good or bad. And so, but, but like I said, 50 years ago, we didn't know any better, but now look around, you know, it, like his politics, don't like his politics. Pete Buttigieg is an upstanding contributor to society, right? The CEO of Apple, one of the biggest, most in, in, uh, most powerful companies on the planet, regardless of whether you think companies ought to be that big and powerful, you know, here is a person that is a high performing uh, contributor to a, to a large company. Um, the folks that are trying to argue that I'm some kind of a mental defective because I'm gay, they need to look out the effing window, right? Yeah. Take a look around yeah. you. It's, and, and, and if you are struggling with this, if you're looking at yourself as, oh, I'm a queer, I'm this, I'm that, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm, I, I'm, I, I look in the mirror. I don't even know what it is like to look in the mirror and see the wrong person staring back. I don't know what that's like. I don't even know if I've described gender dysphoria properly in, in that statement. Um, but I have to say that there are high-performing, well-adjusted, fantastic people that are all of all in any of the above. And that is a fact. That's one of those facts that you need to tuck away in your little list of what makes you valuable when the little voices start talking saying you suck because you're not as good, you're less than because you are LGBTQ or any of the other letters. Um, yeah. it, when that voice talks, you point to that example that you've got in your mind uh, of the person who's just like you who made it. Who's, who's a contributing valuable person in the society and say, that's not what makes me good or bad. The fact that, you know, the, I did those great things yesterday to help those, those great people. Um, that's what makes me good or bad. And that's where we get our sense of self worth, self esteem comes from that. Um, and it's real. It's, it's a real thing that you can sink your teeth into. And that's what I really encourage everybody to do is to start working on that little by little and give it give it some time and you will reap the benefits awesome i truly love my time with you and i could have gone for like two hours easily <laughs> i can't believe like we're almost to an hour and it feels like it's nothing like we just started talking <laughs> no, come come visit the bay area we can we can we can keep talking yeah, I love it. So I will have your website and the book yep. available on the show notes. Is there anything else that you would like to plug in? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, um, the 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 book that I wrote is good for um, people who are Christian and trying to figure out what to do with their with their romantic desires. Um, it doesn't require that you believe that being gay is a sin or not. It, I don't require people come away with that. It, it offers you options, not the way, you know, it gives you options. It looks at the option. It, it's there's pros and cons. You know, I am not a big fan of celibacy, but I've had people write me thanking me for uh, for encouraging them on their walk of celibacy. I'm like, uh, OK, I, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'm glad I did. That was my goal. But, um, you know, not, you know, personally, it's not it's not my life. Um and also parents. I've gotten a lot of feedback from parents that it really helped them because especially parents, in, for some reason, in the Midwest and pastors who are parents. And it's like, hey, my kid is bi, my kid is trans. 
and I didn't know how to deal with it with my faith. And this book book really helped. Um, a lot of times parents need a permission slip to love their kids the way they ought to. And, yeah. and my book says, look, you can still think it's a sin. You can still think it's this or that, but your job as a parent is to love your kid and to love them in a way that is, um, that is going to be beneficial for, for, for them. Um, and, and so, you know, thinking of what's best for, for, uh, for my kids. And so I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of feedback from parents and some parent groups and some parent support groups have really come behind the work. So, um, the website is tried to be straight.com tried as in, uh, uh, T R I E D tried to be straight.com. And, and, um, my email, I love to hear from people. You know, I, I don't hear from enough people. So if you want to send me uh, send me an email, I would love to chat. I, I you know, I, I like to make time. And so um, uh, it's Andy at triedtobestraight.com. Uh, and if, if there's an issue there, you could find the website. There's a contact me. I get the emails on my phone. It, it comes right to a live person. So um, so do that. And I, I like I said, I, I love hearing from people. I love talking with people about this. My favorite subject is why I wrote a book about it. So uh, I'd love to hear from, from anyone. I love it. And people reach out to him if you have questions or just want to talk more about religion and LB oh, LBTG. <laughs> oh my God, this is horrible. But I yeah. have not kept up for like a decade because I've been trying to uh, deal with my own life. But anyways, uh, reach out to him. I really love his mes message and his mis mission. And I'm so grateful that like you wanted to come on my podcast. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Great. Francie, thank you for having me on. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode. Hope you have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. If you'd like to stay in touch or like to support me in any other way, check out my Linktree Life with Francie profile, where I have all of my social media, uh, coupons for my favorite stores, and more. Also, if you like this podcast, it will mean the world to me if you share it with your friends or leave a review. God bless. Don't stress. I'll be back with another episode soon.